Welcome to Democracy Matters, the podcast of the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University. I'm Kara Ong-Whaley, Associate Director at the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement, and I'm here with Abe Goldberg. Hi, Abe. How are you, Kara? I'm doing well. It's great to be here. It's great to be here. We're actually recording from the Civic Learning and Democratic Engagement Conference 2019 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And we are very privileged today to be joined by Professor Timothy Eatman. He is an educational sociologist and publicly engaged scholar who serves as the inaugural dean of the Honors Living Learning Community and associate professor in the Department of Urban Education at Rutgers University in Newark. Prior to this, his primary network of operation and leadership for over a decade was with Imagining America, Artists and Scholars in Public Life. Welcome, Dr. Eatman. Thank you for this time and to be a part of an amazing effort that's going to move our uh, field forward. Glad to be here. I've been coming to the Civic Learning and Democratic Engagement Conference for several years now. And I, I find that coming here is just so energizing and so inspiring to be around this mix of, of students and faculty, administrators, national organizations, where you see that the work that you're doing and the work that we're doing, the work that they're doing is part of this larger yes. community and movement Absolutely. Is this your first time coming to CLD? Oh no, oh no. I've um, been coming for many years and um, do my best to make uh, time in, in my calendar to come um, because of the reasons, Abe, that you just mentioned. Um, but in the last two years, I've come in a new way because I've been able to bring students. Um, Rutgers University Newark uh, is a ASCU member. Um, and uh, prior to this, I was at a private institution and so um, it was um, not as easy to get, um, you know, students support for students to travel who were not a part of ASCU. And so um, last year the students came and just sort of uh, were awed by what they were seeing in terms of uh, other young people around the nation uh, really drilling down, you know, into their uh, community-engaged work and publicly-engaged scholarship. I had three students. And then they wrote a proposal. Uh, actually, one of them wrote a proposal um, and came back this year as a presenter. There are four students uh, here with me. But it's really quite delightful to see them uh, get it, get that this is a, a, an important uh, national space for them to network and to have their ideas affirmed and nourished. Yes, I, it struck me yesterday, too, in hearing your presentation and Ken Reardon's presentation that we should really also start incorporating community members yeah. into this conference, right? Especially as we're thinking about working alongside them. Sure. And um, we actually, our first question for you is is thinking about um, the significance of community university partnerships. And I know that you have been very involved in moving the field of publicly engaged scholarship, community engaged scholarship forward and have been really a leader in that. Um, and I wonder if you, and, and, and seeing those partnerships in pursuit of the vision of a more inclusive mm -hmm. higher education experience and, and, the, and the purpose of higher education and serving the public good, mm -hmm. um, would you talk with us a little bit about what you envision as an ideal community university partnership mm -hmm. and maybe some of the successes you've had? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, 
I'll begin with a question. Why would we think that we could do community-engaged work? Really, why would we think we could make any knowledge at all without seriously engaging beyond the ivory tower? That's ridiculous. Certainly, the credentialized knowledge is meaningful and important. You know, um, I've earned PhD. I've been blessed to be able to drill down into a field and um, um, understand the methodologies and strategies and tools and ways of thinking that that affords me. But it is insufficient. <laughs> and it always um, challenges my intellectual self when I um, engage scholars in any discipline who uh, discount community-based and indigenous knowledges. Uh, it's, it's really insecure, if you ask me. <laughs> I, I mean, for goodness sakes, right? Um, one of the things that we scholars are, are uh, socialized to know is that there are always blind spots. And so, um, you know, it's just strange to me. Um, I do believe in the disciplines. Uh, sociology is my lens of thinking. And um, I, I um, you know, of course, as a sociologist, love history. And there are many uh, other disciplines that um, uh, compel me because of that pivot point. Um, but I realize that that only gets us so far. So to your question, um, it's really critical in, in my view that um, we encourage uh, scholars within our community to take seriously um, the, uh, the challenge of, I'll just say it, unlearning some of the stuff that we've learned about what knowledge is, the epistemology of knowledge making. And so um, I'm thinking of my uh, oldest daughter who's uh, just begun an MD-PhD program in neuroscience at Emory University, who um, many years ago um, declared her interest in obstetrics, um, uh, but had the most meaningful and continues to have the most meaningful engagements with my wife's grandmother, who's 102, who was the midwife in Colombia, um, where uh, her 13 children were born and, and where she lived. And to see Jasmine engaging with Mita um, with a full respect for the principles of uh, chemistry and biology and, and all of the aspects of obstetrics and neuroscience that um, she's hungry to become you know, sophisticated in and, and to operationalize in her work. And at the same time, uh, honor and recognize the rich knowledge that comes, um, you know, from community and indigenous knowledges is critical. The, the other thing that I would um, just say, um, you, you mentioned that um, imagining America, artists and scholars in public life is a um, national association that um, I've had the privilege of being um, 
very involved in and continue to be involved in. Um, There's something really powerful to me um, as as a social scientist you know, for understanding the power of, of the humanities and the arts in situating us for that interchange between um, credentialed academics and community-based partners. Um, and it, it, it troubles me that we bracket that stuff out, right? <laughs> like, almost by default. <laughs> it's like, why are, we, why are we doing that, yeah? No, we shouldn't be forcing people to do that. But you know, if we look at our best Nobel uh, uh, laureates, right? I mean, I don't care if they're in the sciences or what. Many of them are musicians <laughs> and, and dancers and artists, and right. And so, um, you know, as, as you ask me about, um, you know, what we do to activate uh, community and university partnerships and publicly engaged scholarship. I really um, start at the place of um, wrestling with uh, how troubled I am that, that we have not done uh, a better job to communicate uh, within the academy um, the power of, it, frankly, the fact that it, it is a sine qua non, an essential component to be engaged in community and also to leverage the power of culture and, and the arts. You were involved and, and had leadership with Imagining America artists and scholars in public life mm-hmm. for, for over a, a decade, yes. and you spoke to that as well yesterday. And he, here we are at a conference on civic learning and democratic mm-hmm. engagement. Um, my, my disciplinary background is in political science, mm-hmm. as is Kara's, and, mm-hmm. uh, and oftentimes I think we're quick to, to go to sort of political science mm-hmm. and justice studies and mm-hmm. programs like yeah. that for for preparing our students to be actively engaged in democracy, Mm -hmm. um, I am deeply inspired um, by what the arts can do in ways Mm -hmm. that other disciplines cannot do. And I I wonder if you could um, speak to the role of arts and humanities in realizing a stronger democracy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My my, uh, former uh, co-director, Dr. Scott Peters at Cornell University, used to talk about um, the arts as a sort of special sauce <laughs> in, our, in our work, right? Uh, and, I, and I get that. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, there's something that happens to us when we are engaged in um, a performance, you know, or, um, you know, when, um, you know, we uh, are enjoying music together, yeah? Or, or we are, um, Looking at the brilliance of a, of, of an artist who has uh, um, presented, you know, um, some multi-dimensional um, piece for us uh, to consider, um, and uh, I'm actually a shade tree artist myself. I'm a pianist and and composer, and and so um, it it really didn't take a lot for for me to be reformed if you will in the imagining america community because you know my, my heart sort of gestures toward that anyway do, do you know what i mean um but but we are so challenged in the way that we have organized the way 
aspects uh, of of acceptable uh, knowledge making that it, it can be tough for, for many people, right? Uh, one of the things that we found at Imagining America is that you know, a lot of people just hiding, <laughs> right? And that they were, uh, you know, intentionally keeping um, those aspects of their um, phenomenal selves um, at bay. And so, you know, IA gets started, you know, uh, as an invitation, frankly, to humanists, you know, professors of English and ethnic studies and uh, philosophy and, you know, uh, visual and movement artists, um, and, uh, designers um, who, who said, wow, we, we really need to figure out what it means to have a space created where um, that, that work can be affirmed. And the, the knowledge, making the intellectual dimensions of that um, uh, could, could um, really be taken seriously. And so um, this will be the 20th year of Imagining America. Um, and I think some of the most important work that has happened there is, to your point, about inviting scholars and, and community activists and community partners into that kind of a space. Um, I think some really important work, frankly, Abe, has been done around uh, raising the question of what a faculty rewards looks like for that kind of knowledge making. Again, we're back to this notion of uh, what is the epistemology of knowledge making. And so I was honored to uh, work very uh, deeply um, uh, on a, uh, a national effort um, that uh, received some note around the question of promotion and tenure. When you, when you spoke earlier about needing scholars and researchers to, to sort of embrace this idea of publicly engaged mm -hmm. scholarship, my mind immediately went to promotion and tenure. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and, and you know, I, I just wonder if our institutions are set up in a way to really cultivate scholars yeah. who want to do that work well, you know that's not or the are there case. even <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, or, or I mean are some are some people who want to do it and are well equipped to do it and should be doing it and this is why they got into this work are, are they are, are they is there a disincentive oh, of course yeah. for them to do it no doubt no doubt yeah this is really heavy lifting I mean you know so I say this often that I mean the ivory tower is um, the metaphor <laughs> literally is the solipsistic celebration of being removed from community. That's our metaphor. <laughs> That's it, right? And so when you have that kind of framework, right, um, it is by definition exclusionary, right? And so uh, if you're doing community-engaged work and the best person with the best knowledge about making an assessment on what your impact is doesn't have a PhD, what do you do with that? He can't judge me, she can't judge me, they don't have a PhD. That's lazy. Yes it is. We, we, can't, we can't be more sophisticated to figure out what it means to invite that knowledge. I mean, again, I'm not suggesting that the um, terminal degrees are not critical, important. I'm just saying that it's lazy for us to say that the best knowledge um, 
is captured in selective peer-reviewed journals. The Chronicle article about th four or five years ago now taught us that about four people read those. And not, we're not counting your mother, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and again, we need to do this. Yes, we must cultivate knowledge in a rigorous, you know, thicker theory, you know, deep intellectual way. And we must know that this is not sufficient. So a lot of our work has been around this question of what does publicly engaged scholarship look like? I've um, gone to many places uh, to share um, the research, um, particularly that Imagining America had, had done. Um, and our, um, our current faculty co-director, Erica Cole Arenas, I know is uh, working to do a 2.0 on some of that work. But it really is uh, at the core, frankly, of what it means to activate uh, publicly engaged scholarship in the academy because promotion and tenure is the visceral expression of what the university values and if we're not attending to that um, we're just sort of playing around right and one of the things i have found in this work alongside community partners is the kinds of products differ it's not always going to be the peer-reviewed well journal right well it might be something like a story tour well right um that well that engages scholarship in a different way and and includes people and that has to be when you know promotion and tenure is one thing but then we have to think about within promotion and tenure right what are the different forms of products that we're valuing yeah, the artifacts of, of 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 engaged scholarship i mean what is the value of uh Judy Baca's mile-long mural in Los Angeles that has brought gang members together. She uh, keynoted um, our conference, Emerging America's conference, probably about a decade ago now. Um, you know, what is the value of uh, Nick Susanis's, um, you know, graphic novel dissertation, first dissertation in comic book form? Or A.D. Carson's <laughs> hip-hop work, right? I mean, you know, it's like, right? We're in the 21st century. Yes. Uh, I, I love you talk that you know the examples you you talked about, and we're thinking about you know radio shows and site revitalization plans, and we're talking about you know um, uh, technical reports, and, and we're talking about um, you know any any number of of sort of visual ways of, of inviting folks, performance, publicly engaged uh, performance that gets translated into policy change in, um, in neighborhoods and communities. So it's, it's really exciting, but I do really believe that um, as we increasingly take seriously the power of the cultural disciplines in our work, that it's going to get deeper um, and, and that it's not the only dimension, but it's one important dimension of our work. Yesterday, you concluded your uh, cived talk with the five senses to engage in the work of imagining mm -hmm. uh, hope, history, passion, mm -hmm. empathy, planning. Yeah. Can you share that with us here? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I hope I, I won't get too excited. Um, oh, we want you to get excited. Ah! <laughs> my wife reminds me, she says, Tim, don't be dramatic, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I get so activated about 
this idea that um, our senses are a part of our work, you know? And, um, you know, it's really thinking hard. Actually, I came up with that uh, um, idea about the senses of engagement at one of the first Imagining America conferences. I'm thinking of it now. It was in Illinois. Maybe it was the second one. And uh, I remember wanting to just sort of express, you know, how important it is for us to um, access and honor our whole selves in our work. And so, um, you know, I was thinking about how difficult and challenging uh, it is to engage these senses in this intellectual academic context. And so the, the, the thumb mapped to the opposable thumb, you know, there's, there's a sense of agency in that. You can grab onto something, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that sense of hope lets us grab onto, you know, um, the small way of thinking that says that uh, knowledge making is only about uh, certain uh, things, right? It, it helps us to, to, to grab onto some of the deep social challenges that just seem intractable. I don't know about you, but it, I get so weary. I mean, really? <laughs> that sense of hope is the starting place. Um, and I'm reminded of, of um, you know, just how it lets you open things. About, you know, Miss Raccoon, she can open your trash, right? Because she has an opposable thumb, <laughs> right? I mean, it really is powerful, right? Uh, and, and it activates us towards um, exploring a deeper uh, sense of how we got where we are, right? that sense of history that I mapped to the pointer finger, right? Um, you know, um, I, I uh, ho hope you don't mind a story. Um, I, I um, was the only staff member to move with Imagining America from Michigan, its first headquarters, to Syracuse. Mm. And uh, at Michigan, I was um, director of research for Imagining America. At Syracuse, I was a tenure-track faculty member in the higher education department. And we had to make a family decision. I'm still talking about this point of finger history. We had to make a family decision about how we were going to transition the family. Yeah. And I uh, went to Syracuse as a faculty member in the education school. Yeah. And. Mrs. Eatman and I knew that we could not put our brown girls in a school system, a public school system that had 47% graduation rate. I'm not trying to disparage Syracuse. I'm being descriptive. I remember uh, Janet and I sitting at the district office, and she said, well, baby, are, the, is, are those achievement charts upside down? What, what <laughs> What's going on? And so, um, you know, we made some family decisions that kept us apart for a year, but I never forgot that that present situation had a history, like a multi-generational history. This is not one year. This is what we want to have happen, right? And I hope I don't sound pessimistic, right? In fact, I was there. My family was uh, signing on to me going there because we had a leader like Nancy Cantor who said, we're gonna do something different in Syracuse. And we're gonna not only understand the history to the present that the point of finger, a sense of history 
gives us, but we're going to point to a future <laughs> that's powerful. I love that that pointer finger that that, that gives us that uh, uh, ability to traverse those uh, various aspects, you know, of, of of where we've been and where we are and where we're going. Um, and next, the tallest finger, that uh, sense of passion, uh, I believe is. Uh, absolutely critical I, I said yesterday it's like oil uh, in the engine of hope um, there, there's something really uh, rejuvenating about uh, the passion that we can bring to bear uh, to our work um, we get up early and we stay up late uh, and we um, get creative and, and uh, engage each other in, in these ways that release all sorts of endorphins and uh, allow us to develop camaraderie because of that sense of passion and but it dissipates quickly and so this ring finger is the uh, sense of empathy reminds us that um, we have skin in the game together yeah mm -hmm. uh, how important it is um, when we have the attention of our students to really take seriously that they may be a, an agent in our society in a way that uh, takes us to a whole nother level that um, no one is expendable, that we really have a duty with this notion of having skin in the game together to understand the possibilities that get activated when empathy really gets engaged. And of course, the small finger, the pinky, um, is about planning. And uh, we know that um, Although it's small, the details matter, right? And um, so I, I look at our research, um, our planning work, our courage to take on the details of this organizing as a very important sense. Um, and and um, again, these senses really are, are uh, metaphorically connected to the hands because everyone needs to be touched, yeah. Mm. I remember I was at a prestigious institution and they said, well, Someone said, well, Dr. Eatman, some people have a condition where they can't be touched. You know, and I, I said, yeah, you're right, man. A and I'm just thinking, what an example of how the shrinking imagination stymies and stifles us. Uh, he's so smart. First of all, he just wanted to be heard, right? But he's so smart, right, that, that you know, he, he cannot, literally cannot pass up the opportunity <laughs> to just really embrace um, you know, a, a, a channel for uh, uh, helping us think more deeply about what it means to touch each other. I feel like I'm rambling now, but um, you asked me to talk about something that I care a lot about. You know, that's what we wanted to hear. <laughs> it's actually interesting. You, you used a word that I, I can't imagine Dr. Tim Eatman ever using. Um, and you and, and, and you were you were disparaging it, but it was this idea of pessimism because mm. I, I saw you speak yesterday here at the Civic Learning Democratic mm. Engagement Meeting, and and you um, you also visited James Madison a University couple of times last year. Actually. Last year, yeah. yeah, we I think twice that you were, was you were twice. with they us. Had an awesome time. You're doing amazing um, work there. And and but you know I, I think it's easy to be pessimistic mm -hmm. right now, it, quite honestly. You know, when I think about sort of the, the state of our yes, democracy, yes, when sir. I think about the public problems yes, that are going unaddressed and whether or not we're preparing students to address those problems, whether or not our institutions are set up in a way well to address public issues, whether or not our promotion and tenure requirements 
are built in a way that's going to encourage us to take what it is that we can do to address problems. I, I find it very, and then you put the news on. I, I think it's very easy to be pessimistic, but when I speak to you, and, 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 and when, when I've seen you address audiences, are you, are you unaffected by that pessimism? Oh because I find myself very hopeful mm. and excited, and I think about the power mm. that we all have together, and it's something that um, I deeply appreciate about not only the work that you do, but the disposition that you have as you engage in that work. Wow. Yeah, and you you asking it how much time do we have? <laughs> you you are uh, uh, you know you're asking a uh, a very very deep deep question. Um, um, so I'm a man of faith, mm-hmm. and that is at the core of um, um, what it means for me to do this work. Frankly, um, I, I don't proselytize or, or anything like that but in in the innards of who I am uh, I showed you a picture of pop uh, yesterday right my, my great my paternal grandfather um, you know our family has cultivated that um, um, you know really um, serious commitment to um, the sort of introspective work of of exploring the phenomenal self and recognizing what that means um, in the world. And so um, while I, I, I do struggle with, as you uh, just mentioned, Abe, the, the challenges in, in our society, uh, I take daily time to remind myself that um, um, I, I am simply an, an agent that has a, a charge for a short time. <laughs> And while I have the mic, I am going to be about the work of imagining, about inviting people into spaces where they can connect, where they can realize that we have the things we need for each other. It makes me crazy as a sociologist that I can't give you what you need and you can't give me what I need because of some arbitrary ways that we have organized our society shame on us that is beneath us and because of my sense of how I'm created I am going to keep focused on distilling again and again that powerful sense within me that is not about me but something larger and it connects with other people who in their way see something larger and this is the 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 thing that I, I try to translate to my own children and and to my students uh, and it becomes, I think, then something really uh, powerful um, for me in my walk. Um, so uh, you're very kind to to pick up on it, um, and um, I'm going to do that in this sector until I feel like I can't do it in this sector anymore. Then I'll be some other sector, <laughs> you know. Hopefully not, but I mean, higher education it provides us a precious space. I, I mentioned it. There's no reason. There's no other society where I could be a, a tenured professor at a research world university and dean given the story of America and although we've had our ebbs and flows I believe in this thing and so I'm trying to open the floodgates <laughs> and anyone who knows me knows that that's the case and it really doesn't matter to me whether you're orange or purple 
what do you have to offer to this democratic experiment that's going to elevate us and get us to a, a more profound healing space? We would love for you to share your experiences, your successes, working with students in the honors living and learning community Ooh. at Rutgers. Um, I was just so inspired. 98% retention and graduation rate. Yeah, we're young. W what's, the, what's the magic well, sauce? Well, I mean, you know, yeah. Um, so much. <laughs> and it begins before me getting there. Um, I dare say it begins even before our chancellor, Nancy Cantor, getting there, who's a brilliant leader. Um, you, you know her work. Um, it's so funny. It was at ADP maybe five years ago now in New Orleans where um, actually Nancy was in for a keynote um, along with Bro Adams, uh, National Endowment uh, for Humanities chair, previous chair. And Nancy and I huddled. She had already left Syracuse. And we huddled, and, and um, in our conversation, she said, you know, do you know about um, the Honors Living Learning Community at Rutgers Newark? I said, no, and Nancy, I hadn't heard about it. She said, I, I want you to know about it. Yeah, we're doing some, some exciting things, uh, revolutionizing honors, really looking back at the question of what is honors, right? I mean, how do we uh, operationalize the concept in a way that is more fitting for what honors really is. Uh, and so she drew me into a conversation with then um, Executive Vice Chancellor Shirley Collado, who's now the president at Ithaca College, and many other folks at Rutgers Newark who were already in motion. They were ready to receive Nancy. That's really important. It's not about she came in and just did this, right? She came in, to, what is the, the when the the student is ready, the teacher will appear, something like that. It reminds me of that. Um, but you know, she reminded me that these were things that we had been sort of talking about and working on over the years through Imagining America and other spaces. And so, it was a delight to um, to uh, join uh, the Rutgers University Newark community. Um, and I think the thing that's most delightful is just the young people. Um, I have not met young people like the ones at Rutgers Newark anywhere else, and I've been at a number of institutions. Um, I'm reminded of um, a conversation that I had with a student um, probably last November who wanted to get my attention to let me know that another student was really struggling financially. Um, it was a health issue. and. He had to send his, he's the primary breadwinner, frankly. He had to send his mom somewhere, you know, out of the country for health care. I mean, it was really a challenge. And um, she said, you know, well, Dean Eatman, uh, five of us have gotten together and we've been looking for um, particular uh, scholarships that this young man could apply to. And we've been helping him fill them out. And I said, I'm sorry, y you didn't get the scholarship for your own self? You, you're helping him apply <laughs> for it? She said, yeah, yeah, about five of us are doing that. And then she said, uh, yeah, and then 
you know, we, we've tried to come up with a plan to, to pull our refund checks. Hmm. <laughs> I said, hold on, wait a second, slow down. Let us connect with different sources around campus to see how we can help. What blew me out of the water is that next, the following week, when she told me about the challenges that she was facing, they were almost worse than what he was facing. I'm blown out of the water because I've never met students like that. We have, we're a second chance institution, so we have students who've overcome the school to prison pipeline. We've got students who are aged out of the foster care system. We got students who are undocumented. You know, because of the shape of our, our honors living learning community, we have older students, some 35, 40, well, I have a 50 year old and 17 year olds, but we're really taking seriously this notion of what community means. And can you imagine the 40 year old and the 17 year old and the conversations that they have? Oh, and I can't wait in a few months we're gonna be in our new building. We've got an $80 million building project that's just about done. And I'm fantasizing about um, how we will use the lounges and the in uh, conference rooms and the classroom spaces and uh, the outdoor piazza to bring these communities together in these profound ways going beyond the campus uh, as well. Um, so I think I've gotten off track. I could uh, tell you uh, many stories uh, about how uh, amazing these, these young people are, um, but they really do give me life and help me to um, keep that sense of hope alive for myself. I assume an invitation is coming to us to visit this new building, hey, as you described. <laughs> October fifteenth is our ribbon cutting, so that come is through. incredibly mm -hmm. exciting. And and, um, and I, we've had several institutions visit us already um, to just talk about the model because we intend to create a national model. This is not about a one. It, it will have a different shape, obviously, in different places. But we want to, you know, I mean, we've been blessed to engage with. You know some national honors uh, council. You know so the uh, National Council of Honors Co Colleges. Uh, I'm sorry, I believe that's the name. Um, you know, has have we been in conversation with them? You know, there, there are many um, sort of efforts to, you know, revisit, you know, different models for honors, and, and we're glad to be a part of that. As well. all of our guests yeah. what would you do to strengthen our democracy wow yeah you, you that's a big one yeah I I, 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 I want to to uh, I, I definitely want to talk about what uh, kinds of things we can do to activate the students but when you when you ask me that question directly I, I, I got to start with me in my house I have two daughters. They think I have three wives. They're probably right. <laughs> but, you know, I start with them, right? And my family and, and, and you know, how we are, you know, taking seriously the, the opportunity to operate in, in our society. And I think that the reverberations of that, not only through our voting, but, you know, 
through our learning about the issues and being uh, able to articulate those issues within our spheres of influence, if you ask me what, to, what I do to contribute to our democracy, the most important work is sort of in my home mm. and doing the, 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 the important work of, of uh, translating um, the, the, the lessons of uh, um, the responsibility we have um, to be civic agents at home first and then beyond. Professor Eatman, thank you so much for spending oh time goodness, with us today. Thanks. It's such a pleasure. I wish we had more time. I could just sit here for hours <laughs> talking with you, if not days or weeks. Or <laughs> we, we, we start these conversations, particularly you know, in this one. Well, well, Dr. Eatman, can we sit with you for 20 minutes yeah. and have a conversation? <laughs> and you know, we can all go on our way. Th th I could easily extend this conversation yeah. with you and learn from you and be inspired by you and just know that that um, you know you you really do send an important message that that clearly is advancing this work for all of us and and, and what I'd like to do is is express my gratefulness yeah. to you for that yes so thank back you so back much. at you thank you for your leadership and I uh, uh, trust that this uh, uh, podcast series um, and then the whole enterprise is, is going to just continue the amazing work that's happening at James Madison and uh, honored to be a part of it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by the talented and tenacious Leah Jackson, a senior in the School of Media Arts and Design at James Madison University. Our digital guru, Randy Budnickus, director of digital marketing at JMU, does the syndication for us. Our theme song is Sometimes It Shines by Pictures of the Floating World. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can tweet your questions and ideas to us at JMU Civic, and we'll address them in a future episode. You can also connect and engage with us on Facebook at JMU Civic. Learn more about the Madison Center online at jmu.edu civic. Until next time.